I want to talk today to us about overcoming temptation. I want to see what does the Bible say about where does temptation come from? What are we to do when we are tempted? And since we're here together as couples, how can married couples support one another so that we overcome temptation together? Before we go further, let's open in a word of prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you for um, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is inside of each one of us that has accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. We thank you that you make yourself at home in us. But we also recognize when you make yourself at home in us that you start cleaning house. And for that we are also thankful, but we also recognize it can be uncomfortable sometimes. We ask God that you be gracious, and I pray that this, this talk today will be uh, encouraging to us that we are able to follow Jesus Christ with more freedom than ever before. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> many of you are married. I think most of you are, or many of you are married. And you remember after that I do, and many of you went on a honeymoon. Maybe some of you didn't. But you remember that first couple months where your spouse couldn't do anything wrong, right? Oh, they were, they were just, they were so perfect. And then, I don't know what happened, maybe it was like the, the day after, but all of a sudden you realized, what have I done? And that question often comes where we start to see ourselves for who we are. And we see that relationships take work. And it's that way with our relationship with Christ. We start off so very strong, and it's very similar to a honeymoon phase. And then things go into the normal following Christ together. And part of that is the return of temptation. Some of us, when we accepted Christ, it's, it's as if Jesus Christ took all of those temptations that we struggled with before out of our lives, and as we follow Christ for some times, many times those temptations come back. So where do these temptations come from? If you have your Bibles with uh, you today, let's turn to James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Here, James teaches us where temptations come from. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor can he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, sin when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So where does temptation come from? Where does this desire for us to sin or to fall back into our old way of life come from? The first thing that James says here is it does not come from God. Our temptations do not come from God. He says God cannot be tempted by evil, and also God cannot tempt us with evil. And the reason for that is that God is perfect. God is holy. God is just, and he has no evil within him. God is also eternal, meaning God has never changed, never will change. One of the names for God in the, in the Bible is the name I Am. And that name means God was, God is, God always will be, and he's all those at the same time. I am. It's a perfect tense. It's a, it's a, 
It's a perfect summary of God. And because God has always been good, he is good and always will be good, God can never tempt anyone. And so when we fall into temptation, James is telling us here we can never blame God for it. It's never God's fault. So where do temptations come from then? He says that our temptations come from our flesh. Wouldn't it be very, very good is every time we are tempted, we are able to blame someone else. Everyone, that, that would be something that would be really good, right? It's my wife's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's Satan's fault. It's my pastor's fault. If only this, if only that. If my boss was a little nicer. And we like to say our temptations are a result of how other people treat us. And the reality is, we are tempted because we have our flesh. We have our own sinful desires. So what is the flesh? The flesh is the old nature that we have, that we are born with, that is born into sin. So the Bible teaches us that uh, in John chapter 3 that we need to have two births. The first one is a physical birth, and we recognize all of us are here, right? We, we are here in body, so we had that physical birth. But it also says we need to have a spiritual birth. And that spiritual birth c- comes when God comes into us through the Holy Spirit, takes out the old spirit and replaces it with a new spirit. That is what it means to be born again. But our spirit is changed, but our flesh is not. Our flesh will be changed someday when we die and we get our resurrected bodies. So... In a sense, our spirit is born again now, and our flesh will be born again when we die and we get a resurrected body. So our salvation, in a sense, has two parts to it. But while we live on this earth, we still live in our flesh. And our flesh is that which has the desires to go back. So he says we are tempted when we are dragged away by our own desires. How many of you ever feel like this? Yeah, you're dragged away. Have you ever seen a vicious dog attack a cat? You don't have to raise your hands, but it's crazy. They, they, they pounce on the cat and they, and they drag the cat off and they play with it. And that's sometimes how we feel. We have these desires inside of us and we feel like we're being dragged away by those sinful desires. Whose desires are they? Here's the thing we have to accept. There are desires. It's not somebody else's fault when we're tempted. It's my fault. And if you're the one being tempted, it's your fault. It's the flesh within us that is the cause for our temptation. So what kind of desires have their origin in our flesh? Just to list a few, pride comes from our flesh. Wanting to put ourselves above other people. Or wanting to make the whole story about us. That comes from the flesh. Trying to manipulate people, lying to them, um, trying to twist words so that you get your way is another selfish desire from the flesh. We have other ones like rage, lust. These are all desires that we carry in our flesh. And these are the desires that drag us away if we allow it. Then James turns and he says, 
now that we've been dragged away by our own desires, what happens if we allow that to happen? It says, giving into our sinful desires turns to sin. Here's a very important thing for us to recognize. When we are tempted, that is not when we sin. I have uh, counseled many people and they feel so very bad for the temptations that they have. The temptation is not the sin. The sin is when we willingly make the choice to go into that, uh, that sin. That desire turns to sin. Sin is conceived when the choice is made to give in to our sinful desire. One of the illustrations that I often think about is you play with fire, you will get burned. Um, maybe there are some women in here that enjoy playing with fire. Are there any men in here that love making fires and the bigger the better? Anyone? Okay, and the rest of you might not be telling the truth, right? <laughs> right? We as men, we love fires. You know what burns really well? Gasoline, right? I remember one time when uh, my brother and I, we were young, and uh, we found out that if you put gas in a, um, a plastic bottle, and you put a little fire on the ground, and if you use the bottle to, like, kind of as a squirts bottle, you could, like, kind of have this flamethrower, right? And so we would kind of squish the bottle, and gas would come out, and there'd be huge fireball well, this one time, it got a little out of hand. So my mom, being a wise woman she was, she says, one day you're going to get burnt. Well, one day did come, and so we were playing with uh, the gas, and what happened was we squeezed the bottle, and the flame traveled up into the bottle, and then what do you do? You drop it, and as you drop it, it splashes up, and it came all over the clothes, and, and my mom says she watched from outside, Two Mennonite boys dancing for the first time, right? <laughs> we play with fire, we will get burned. And so often, this is what we do with sin. We put it right in front of us. We say, these are my desires. I'm going to just stand right here and I'm going to look at it. If we do that, it's like fire. If we play with fire, we will get burned. God has given us a way out. And very often we like to get as close to those desires we can and then somehow think we're not going to give in to them. But that's not the only bad news. He also says that sin, when it is fully conceived, leads to death. Sin leads to death. We know that Romans chapter 3 says that the wages of sin is death. I think uh, chapter 6. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the wage of sin is death, and death comes in many ways. Death comes in a relationship. James, in a few passages of scripture into James, James chapter 4, verses 1, he says, What caused fights and quarrels among you? What caused relational death? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So here's the thing. When you and your wife have your next fight or your next conflict, don't ask, what is my wife or my husband doing wrong? Ask yourself, what selfish desire do I have in me that is coming out that is bringing death to this relationship? We like to point our fingers. If only my wife would talk a little nicer to me, if she would bring me a little more respect, then this conflict wouldn't happen. 
What is the cause of fights and quarrels among you? Selfish desires. And the Bible is meant to be taken on personally and not just handed to other people. (coughs) There's also a death of what could be. One of the heartbreaking things to witness in people's lives, and I'm sure many of you have been here, someone makes a very stupid decision, and for the rest of their life, they carry the consequence of that decision. It's the death of what could have been. Maybe it's the the selfish desire of rage, and in one moment, a choice is made to hit the wife. And the relationship breaks down and a divorce happens and the law gets involved. You can't undo that. Sin leads to death. And then if sin is not dealt with by Jesus Christ and is not brought to the cross, sin leads to spiritual death. Those of us that have never uh, given our lives to Christ, accepted what Jesus did for us on the cross, we will pay the full price of our sin. And that is eternal separation from God for all of eternity. And then some of our temptations come from Satan. So I've spent all this time talking about temptation coming from the flesh. Sometimes we are tempted by Satan. It's not the other way around. One of the interesting things I've often observed is when uh, Christians, uh, people come to Christ for the first time and they're trying to figure out what it means to follow Christ and they come up against temptation, very often for the first little bit, they blame Satan for all of their uh, temptations. And that's, that's fine. Satan is often there to mislead. But most times when we are tempted, it's because of our own sinful desires. But there are times when Satan tempts us. So how, what is one of the main ways we know that it's Satan and not only our sinful desires? In my experience and in scripture, there's, uh, 2 Corinthians talks about it. Usually the telltale sign that Satan is the one that's doing the tempting, and it's not just our sinful desires, is if there's confusion involved. People just can't see correctly. And they, they just can't figure out why is this all happening. And there's this spirit of confusion. And I like the German word, verbistat. Like, it's, it's a word that's just like, I can't quite figure out what's going on. And usually if that's happening, it's a sign that Satan is tempting. I want to tell a little bit of a story, and I wish my wife was here this evening and we could share this story together. A few years ago, my wife and I, we were starting to experience major conflict and tension in our relationship. And we went and saw pastoral care, and we saw counselors, and we did everything that we could. We, we put everything into a relationship that we could. And I could say we were giving our 100%. And for whatever reason, there was always this, this nagging tension between us. And we could not figure out what was going on. And one day, I don't, I don't know what I did wrong. And my wife just completely got very, very frustrated with me. And then the light clicked for me. Because what I had done wasn't appropriate to how she was reacting to me. And I thought back to the morning when I had done the same thing to her. I had reacted in in such frustration towards her. And then 
in one of the most beautiful times in our relationship. I remember Christina and I sitting down and we were talking about our relationship and, and we were both really trying to figure things out together. And we said, I think it's something spiritual. And so we started praying. Not just, God, we come before you today, will you please help us, amen. We sought God's face for that evening. And I don't know what happened. I know what happened. That next morning, we had our marriage back. And it was as if God was just waiting for us to surrender that last little part to him. And Satan's control, and, and not control, but oppression over our marriage was gone. And it's still gone. There are times in our relationships that we need to recognize that we have an enemy that seeks to destroy what is good and right in our lives. And so if you and your, and your spouse are experiencing this kind of confusion in your relationship, this frustration, trying to just really missing each other, it could be that there's spiritual oppression against your marriage. And uh, to pray for God to release you through Jesus' name. Okay, so let's go over to maybe the practical. We know where temptation comes from. So how do we overcome temptation? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So how do we overcome temptation? I think the first thing that we do is we take responsibility for our actions. We have way too many people walking around and saying, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, I know I did something wrong, but it's not my fault. If it's your temptation, it's your responsibility. And before we recognize that and we, we're able to surrender to Christ fully and we take responsibility for our temptation and finding a way out of it, we'll just keep going and we'll keep shifting the blame. When we shift blame, then we also shift the ability for God to come and restore and to walk with us. Second thing we need to do is we need to take responsibility to find a way out that God has promised. There's amazing good news in this verse. He says, when we are tempted, God is faithful. What does he say? He will not let you be tempted but what you, beyond what you can bear. He's not talking about hardships in our lives, and this is maybe one of the, the ways that this verse is often not... Um, understood right. It's not talking about burdens in our lives that we carry. We often have burdens in our lives way, for, way too much for us to bear. That's why in Galatians chapter 6, he calls us to carry each other's burdens. He's talking about temptations here. When we are tempted, God will never give us or allow us to go into a temptation and be in an area where we don't have a way out. There is always a way out. And so it is our responsibility, it falls to us, to look for that way that God has provided. This requires faith. So in a sense, let's, let's imagine temptation to be a room. 
right? A room with all the same color walls everywhere. And so when you're in this room, the first thing that you should do is not to look at the temptation. You're supposed to look for the door out of the room. Because God has provided it. And it is our responsibility to find it. So very often when we are tempted, it's as easy as just going to a different area where the temptation isn't there anymore. Or it's to share your temptation with someone. Sin cannot thrive in the light. But it thrives in the dark. So what is God's way out of temptation? First, he has given us Jesus Christ. And this isn't just some simple Jesus answer. It is a profound answer. God has given us Jesus Christ as our way out of temptation. Romans chapter 13 verse 14 says this, Rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So what is our way out? We are to clothe ourselves with Christ. In other words, we are to follow Christ, we are to think of Christ, so that we will not think of the temptation. How many times have we not sat, and if you're a sports fan like me, and you, uh, there's a Lions losing, I mean the Lions game in the evening, or maybe the Red Wings or the Maple Leafs, they're losing too, right? Um, in, the, in the evening... And yet we know we're distant from God and we need to take some time for scripture and and prayer. How many times do we not just stay in that nice comfortable couch and watch the game instead? We are to clothe ourselves with Christ. And it is when we clothe ourselves with Christ that we have a way out of temptation. Notice again that Paul is saying that we fall into sin because we are distracted by our flesh. Not by Satan. So we are, it, it's when we gratify the desires of our flesh that we fall into sin. And then we need to make a plan how we are going to endure the temptation. Sometimes God takes their temptations away. Sometimes he doesn't. You know, maybe you're someone here and you've, you've given up drinking. Before Christ, you were an alcoholic. And Christ saved you and, and he's taken that away from you and And yet that temptation is always there. And maybe you have prayed earnestly to God. God, take this temptation from me. And you wake up the next day and the next day and that temptation is still there. Sometimes God takes those temptations away. But in my experience, most times God does not. God wants to be there for you in walking with you through that temptation. And that is a much more... um, precious thing that God does for us than just taking that thing away from us. Some of us will struggle with the same temptation all of our lives. But we need to clothe ourselves with Christ so that it is Christ that we think of rather than the temptation. There's a verse in, uh, in, in Corinthians, one of first or second Corinthians, where it says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Jesus is not just there for us when we need him for salvation. He's there for us when we need him to fight temptation. It says to take every thought captive. You know, this isn't just some child's play. To say it in German, nehmen der Gedanken Faust. 
you take it and you, you hold it captive. And then that thought, they want stanker and they want kampfen, but they want you schlapped and they want Jesus in a fight you brought. And it says, now you stay here. You be obedient to Christ. That's what we need to do with our temptations. We need to take them captive. We need to take them to Christ. And we need to lay them at Christ's feet so that our temptations are obedient to Christ rather than us being obedient to our temptation. So how is this teaching important for couples to understand? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. This is the last passage of Scripture. I just want to uh, glean a few thoughts from this passage. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves so you also may, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something, uh, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone, without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So he starts off with this uh, passage. He says, restore each other gently. Here is one of the, just the hard truths about our, our marriages often. We will talk much more harshly to our spouse than we would to anybody else. We talk nicer to telemarketers than we talk to our spouse sometimes. You know, we, we're Canadians. We apologize to everyone except sometimes our spouse. And when there's failures in our spouse, we're often so very harsh with them. And this verse is especially relevant for us as married couples. He, he says, restore each other gently. Be gentle with your spouse. Don't be a nag. Don't be a boss. Be gentle. And he says, restore each other humbly. He says, watch yourselves or you may be tempted. And he's not maybe saying just that you're going to be tempted in the same way that your spouse is being tempted. But recognize that as we walk with people and, and if our eyes are just on their own uh, their problems, we often don't see where we are tempted. Let us not be so focused on our spouse's failures and their temptations that we forget to see where God is wanting us to surrender our temptations to Christ. <clears throat> and lastly, we need to recognize that we are two people trying our best to live for Christ rather than the flesh. We are two people trying our best to live for Christ and not our flesh. You, as married couples, are a team against temptation. Your wife's temptation may not be your temptation, men, but it is your privilege to walk with her so it becomes our temptation. You become a team in overcoming temptation. He says here that we are to carry each other's burdens. And there are times when our spouses and, and we know ourselves, we need that extra help overcoming temptation. Let us be there for our spouse rather than to just continually pick away at them and in that not help them to succeed. 
one of the things, one of my favorite quotes, and I think it's Family Life uh, Canada or the U.S. that came up with this, and uh, I'll give credit to them because they say it often. He said, your spouse is not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy. You and your spouse are on a team. You're living out your faith. If you're both believers, you're living out your faith together. Carry each other's burdens. So I just want to conclude with a few questions. Are we taking responsibility for overcoming our temptation? Are we living in freedom? We need to come to the point where we recognize that we need Christ. We need to come to over and over again and, and, and to lay our burdens and our, and our temptations at the foot of the cross and to leave them there. Secondly, how can we help our spouse to live in freedom rather than to work against them by tearing them down for their shortcomings? We all have shortcomings, but we need each other to overcome temptation. Let's close in a word of prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your grace. Titus chapter 2 says it is the grace of God that helps us to say no to sin. It is not higher expectations from others. It's not, it's not that we need to come up with more crafty ways of saying no. It's God's help. It's grace that helps us overcome. And Father, I pray that we'll start to see our spouses as people that we can partner with, to be on a team with, to overcome temptation. You have not designed us to be uh, in this Christian walk by ourselves. And let us not leave our spouses behind. And I just pray a prayer of blessing as I know many have traveled a long way this evening to be here. I pray that the the story that was shared and and just the amazing story of your redemption, of taking what is broken and, and putting it back together, and this, uh, just these verses that have been read today, and encouragement to bring everything to Jesus Christ when we are tempted. I pray that we will take this on and we will make it part of our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.